Bill and Bob's Bracket Busting Breakdown. I'm Bob. I'm here with Bill. Hey, Bob. What's going on? Uh, I think we have um, express written consent. Oh. Uh, we contacted we contacted the FBI. We're allowed to we're allowed to broadcast that sound. Yeah, it was no. Well, it was uh, verbal consent, so we're in a dicey territory. But uh, you know, what are what are we gonna do? I mean, I think you spoke to John Tesh personally, so I think we're okay. I don't think Tesh uh, wrote that one. Tesh wrote uh, "Round oh, Ball Rock," wrote, which is the rock. which sorry. is the NBA on NBC. Um, the guy who wrote this one probably deceased, so we had his permission also. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they don't come up Bill? with great songs anymore for these. Uh, for these broadcasts, there's a couple decent ones. Actually, I like I like the Fox baseball one. I guess still a little bit. Some of the football ones, the CBS uh, college football and CBS basket and CBS uh, NFL are are pretty good. But the NBA is the ESPN ones are just garbage. The instrumental like music like musician who does these like that is a real niche market. Maybe they all died off. It could be. It's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, I mean you don't get good jingles on TV anymore, though, either. So, that's true. That's true. But yeah, just the 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 fact that who's writing this like niche market of uh, instrumental? It's like almost like, uh, like I don't know. Whoever was doing it was probably cornering that market. Yeah. Well, Bill, it's been an exciting uh, round of sixteen, round of uh, second weekend, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean. Just uh, some some stuff you've never seen before since the tournament expanded to sixty four teams. Uh, not a single one seed to be found. Not a single two. Not, not a, two. a single two seed. Not, not even a three. Not even a three. Uh, yeah. So not um, first time in history that uh, it was the. Am I wrong with the elite eight? Or no, no, the final four. First time that there's a final four without a one, two, or a three seed. Even going its first the time, eight. there's an elite eight without a one seed, ever I believe, because there was not a single one seed that's, in the elite eight. That's correct. Yes, because there was a two seed in the elite eight, um, but there was not a uh, there was not a one seed. Also, and I'm not sure how many years this goes back. Uh, maybe you could you would know this off the top of your head. It was the first time in a few years that we haven't had a double digit seed in the, um, in I believe the elite eight. Maybe it, maybe it was. Yeah, the, the Elite Eight. I don't know how far back we go on that one, but yeah, there was not a double-digit seed in the Elite Eight. Um, all right, what we're going to do here is we're going to do a quick just kind of kind of touch on each region here and some of the highlights uh, of the previous, uh, the, the second weekend. So, Bill, South Region, top left, um, we had a uh, Sweet 16 ho-hum game, Alabama rolls Maryland. Uh, we had San Diego State rolls Furman. Uh, Creighton Baylor wasn't the game I think we all thought it might have been. Uh, Creighton kind of took the lead early, ran away with it, and Missouri Princeton, uh, Princeton rolled them. Yeah, Princeton really rolled them. I think every it's funny every SEC team basically, whether they were a good or a mediocre team, had the same thing happen. Even if they won a couple games, whether it was it was. Uh, Missouri, or it was Alabama, or it was um, Tennessee. It's basically, you know, those teams are, are great defensive teams. 
and they sometimes put up a lot of points during the season, so it, it could be a little deceiving, but they don't have the shooting and the all-around offensive efficiency and offensive capabilities that so that sometimes when things go wrong, they go really wrong. And I think you saw in all of those teams, they ha- all had this one period of time where there was just an enormous um, uh, scoring drought that they couldn't do anything about, couldn't put the ball in the ocean. Uh, and that was silly me. That was round of 32 games. Yeah. But, uh, all right, round of 16, South Region. Well, we I just thought Alabama. you were introing us to get there. Well, yeah, so then we have Alabama, the one. They took on the five of uh, um, San Diego State. Mountain West had not looked good. Um, they had four te- I think it was four teams in. San Diego State, the only one that had um, won a game here. Uh, and then on the other side, we have Creighton against uh, Princeton. So Alabama-San Diego State. Alabama, all three games Alabama played, they were they played a really lackluster first half, and then their first two games they came out and blew the doors off in the second half, and it looked like that was what was going to happen in this game as well. They went out, they they got themselves almost I think a double digit lead, and then suddenly they couldn't score. And the average age, and this is really what played into uh, San Diego State. not only in this one and then kind of uh, late in the game against Creighton. Their, their average age is like 22 and whatever months uh, of age. And it's actually close to um, the average age of, I think it, it was the Thunder in the NBA who have like an average age of like 23 years old. So a real veteran team. And they've had multiple guys step up. Bradley is their leading scorer, I think, at 13 points a game. He but, didn't uh, play that well against uh, Alabama. He, yep. And it was Trammell who came. Uh, Trammell shot the ball really well with a ton of confidence, hit a ton of t- uh, like a ton of tough shots. And then you had on the other side of it, Brandon Miller just did he all tournament just didn't shoot the ball well. Um, Clowney, uh, Belioc- Clowney played that crap too. He grabbed some yeah, rebounds, had three points, fouled out. Bayako played well on the inside, but then they, he was on the bench for a long stretch. Um, Sears and Quinterly didn't shoot the ball well. Um, and, yeah, Alabama just – they – I had, think I had mentioned it to you where I was saying with some of these SEC teams, they they fall in love with jump shots instead of kind of going to their skill set and, and just playing a little bit of a tougher-nosed style. Absolutely. And, and in that game, yeah, Alabama just did not shoot the ball well at all. Um go down to the bottom side bottom half there we have creighton who is against princeton um you and i both liked princeton princeton multiple times in this game looked like they were dead um then kind of came back looked like it was like sitting around eight for they were sitting on eight but they just couldn't get over the hump i think they got cut it to at one point in the second half added down to six maybe four but then just creighton was just continued to make shots yeah and 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 something of note in this game there was one point in the Princeton Creighton game where there were ten white guys on the floor at the same time. Wow, I, think that's, I, I, think <laughs> I don't that's think you'll the, ever see that again in NCAA I basketball. That's uh, in the tournament in a in a Sweet Sixteen game, anyway. And I think that stuff like that is against the rules in, in the NBA. You, a full-on whitewash. Yeah, I think Princeton ran into a better version of themselves. You know, Creighton Creighton. Is was did all the things that you saw Princeton do in the previous rounds. Um, I actually, I mean, I think Creighton, with the way that they had the ability to shoot the ball, sometimes 
could have really been, you know, if, if things worked out better for them, could have been a, a threat to teams in the uh, Final Four. Yeah, and Creighton did what um, I think most outsiders would think they would do, which is, which is they just put the ball inside to their guy who was 7-1, Kalkbrenner, um, I think, uh, yeah, yeah, 21 points in that game. They shot 58% as a team from two. So, uh, yeah, I mean, when you're shooting that well from the field, they were just getting everything inside that they that they could want. Um, and then th- that game on Sunday against San Diego State, um, they did not shoot the ball as well. Uh, they only shot 11% from three, 40% from the field. Uh, and they just didn't have actually no bench points, which was one of the things that I was uh, harping on with Creighton was that they run a five man. Uh, you know, they run five guys out there and they don't really have much else off the bench. And San Diego State, I, there was times in that game where they were down by six, I think eight in the second half. And they just wouldn't go away more as a team than anything else. Um, Butler had a good game for them, but. They just wouldn't go away, and they made it real tough on Creighton. And then there was the final shot. What's your take on what what occurred there? Um, a very questionable call. Yeah, to me, it just the way it comes down to is, um, the guy goes into the lane. You, you bl- I kind of blame Creighton's health defense for putting Nebhard in the in that position to even get a foul and contest the shot from behind. There's less than two seconds on the clock. The guy on the wing should just collapse because there's no way he can even kick the ball to a shooter. But be that as it may, um, with all the physicality that took place in this game, it was a very physical game. It was just a very tough foul call in that in that regard. Where yeah. it was a very I mean, when he so he got to the line, there's a second left. He misses the first one, and then well, don't lie. And then you got to be thinking like, oh my god, this this kid, like, what is going to happen right now? And then he. He calmly took a breath and nails nails the second free throw. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you you can't complain either way, and you can't say it's like a it's it's um, that San Diego State doesn't deserve to be there because of this call because it wasn't like it wasn't like it was uh, it wasn't like the game was they were down and they got the ben- they were the beneficiary of some calls or something. It was like the game was tied anyway. So you know, best case scenario for Creighton, it goes into into overtime. So, you know, there was a foul on the play. It's just calling that foul to end that game is, is kind of a, a tough thing to do because it wasn't a foul where it was like where it had a it looked like it had a whole heck of a lot to do with altering the shot. It was more of a hand on the hip kind of a thing. Yep. Yeah, he definitely uh, kind of nudged him on the hip there. And, um, yeah, it, it just to me it was just tough in that regard to – to make it based off of the physicality of no. the game. I mean, Creighton has themselves to blame for shooting 27% in the second half. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And just they were never really comfortable in the game. I mean, a game in the 50s uh, was obviously going to favor San Diego State. Um, all right, on the bottom half, uh, speaking of teams that uh, don't score, we had FAU against Tennessee. Um, Tennessee, not to say that they looked... Um, like they had it in hand in the first half, they threw up one of the stinkers of stinkers of halves in the second it half. It was of that game. oh, I mean, there was it was a Rick Barnes special. Um, they went like nine minutes without a field goal. Like, just how can you do that? They they went from up seven to down like six or seven points so quickly. It was like they couldn't. Or or. or 
not not necessarily that they did it quickly, I guess, but it just without scoring, so that the lead seemed insurmountable, and it it ended up being insurmountable. But yeah. it was like one of those things where they hadn't scored in so long, and you just saw no way that they were going to score. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just they it, they just did not look like they even belonged in that spot whatsoever. And um, actually, it's funny FAU to me. Um, it's kind of like San Diego State where they do have Janelle Davis who through the first two games had looked really good uh, piling up stats and but as a team they just they go to different they go to different guys yeah. um, it's not like they're really leaning on one player they just play well as a team um, and th- actually yeah so then on the bottom half and I think actually let's take a break because this one's going to be a good one all right, and then the other game of the um, bottom half of the East Regional, we had possibly the game of the tournament so far as far as back-and-forth nature of it. Uh, Kansas State beating um, Michigan State in overtime at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. Um, it almost was It almost was unfortunate that it was like the first game out of the shoot on uh, Thursday because it was like, how is the rest, anything from the rest of the weekend going to be able to top this? Um, the Thursday games were so good. Between this one and the uh, Gonzaga-UCLA game was also fantastic. Um, you almost wondered, like, the two games that were, like, like knock-em-down, drag-out uh, games. Both of the teams lost in the Elite Eight, and I wonder if there was any, uh, any bit of a hangover there or if people uh, ended up a little bit tired. Um, but, yeah, this, this game was fantastic. Went to overtime. Um, both teams had had some significant chances to win um i, I mean at the, the homecoming angle for um um Mar- what's his name marquis uh, noel marquis noel was was fantastic um i think he set an all-time ncaa record for assists in a tournament, tournament game, game sets the record with 19 assists he actually had um i believe he had 10 at halftime yeah he had 10 or 11 at half yeah it was crazy um yeah uh, just an incredible even the um there was like the viral shot of him and and the coach Jerome Tang arguing over a play, which leads to a uh, Ali oop on, and then it was Keontae Johnson catching it for a reverse dunk, and that was I think the towards the end of regulation. Uh, no, 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 that was the game winning. That was the game winning Ali oop. That was how the game ended. That was oh overtime. okay. That was that was that was a purposeful play. It was it was to to lull the um, defense into a false sense of of security and and kind of okay they're talking right now and then while they were in conversation the backdoor cut happened while the defense is on their heels a little bit backdoor cut happens in the alley-oop yeah i mean just um really one of the all-timers it's probably it's obviously going to be on um one shining moment this year and it will probably be on uh just like ton of the tournament highlight reels moving forward just an all-time moment there um and then, yeah, like you kind of just mentioned a, a few moments ago, Kansas State, I don't want to call it a little bit of a hangover, but they go into the FAU game. Uh, Keontae Johnson goes into early foul trouble, and it just turned into everything that Noel was going to give him. We didn't mention it, but he had hurt his ankle, seemed, kind of, seemed fine, but he was a defensive liability at the end of the Michigan State game, and, and that kind of carried over to FAU. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree with you. And I think it, it I was impressed uh, FA, with FAU 
um, playing the way they did down the stretch. I think they went on like a nice, what was it, a 15-1 to 1, um, run yeah. at one point in time. They, th- um, and Kansas State just went dry at the end of the game. I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't hit anything. It was, uh, it was, it was an unfortunate way for them to end it because they were a nice story. Nobody picked them. I think they were picked to finish last in the Big Twelve this year, and they ended up having such a such a nice run in the tournament, good run in the regular season. Um, but credit to FAU. Uh, it's funny because FAU, it's like I, I was thinking back, trying to remember, and. Uh, they played Memphis in the first round. Yep. And I remembered that game. FAU barely escaped with their lives. They that game they they scored with uh, like five point one seconds to go on a crazy um, uh, sequence of events to take a one point lead over Memphis. Memphis missed a uh, shot on the other end, and that's how they got out. And then from there, I mean, credit to them, they took care of business. But you know, they played a sixteen seed in their yeah. next game, which. Again, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You got to beat whoever you got to, whoever you're supposed to beat. And then they, you know, they happen to be the uh, the team that was the beneficiary of the nine minute uh, Tennessee scoring throw. Yeah, the the actually the the thing that stands out to me with Kansas State was they um, they didn't look good rebounding the basketball. Not not the first round game, but the second round game they they only beat it, they kind of beat it. Beating Kentucky was a little bit of an aberration because of how well Kentucky had destroyed them on the boards. Um, I think they had 19 offensive rebounds in that game. Uh, Schwebele was getting everything he could against them. And then the FAU game, you have their center who, um, I think he had 14 points in the game, played 29 minutes. But going into the game in the tournament, he had 20. he played 27 minutes against Tennessee, but he wasn't if you look at his game log, he hadn't been playing more than 20 minutes kind of for a long stretch leading up into the tournament. He goes for 14, and they out-rebounded them 44-22. to 22. So Kansas State's issue the entire tournament really was rebounding, and FAU went after it and destroyed them and did not leave any chances to, um, you know, in, in that category at least. Yeah. Um, all right, so now top, uh, top right-hand side um, – we have the uh, Midwest Regional. We have Houston, the overall number one uh, against Miami. A lot of people, myself included, going into the tournament um, because of the injury to um, Norchad O'Meer, was kind of underselling Miami, and they very much looked the part against Houston. Yeah, I, I think Larinaga is a great story Agreed. too. Um. Just to see him get was he was was he the coach of George Mason when they made it to the final he, four back in like '06? And got it. One of the all-time great Vern Lundquist calls. By George, they've done it. Yeah, he he's like the. It's it's weird because sometimes guys like that who are older don't seem to like adjust over time. Like Jim Beheim, kind of like the game seems to have passed him by a little bit. Because he stays in one place. Same with Krzyzewski. Same with these other guys. But guys like, there's a reason Patino still has some mojo. And it's because he, he moves places so much. Larry Brown, same thing. He went to SMU and immediately was good. Like, these guys who who actually get a fresh start somewhere new, 
it's like it, it gives them an, a couple extra years. It rejuvenates and, and them. And Laranega, he just seems like um, like he's got these guys playing for him. They're, you know, and they get up for it. So in that game, yeah, I mean, Houston just – they just didn't – they didn't shoot the ball well. And, I mean, the defense can only carry you so far. Calvin Sampson's uh, Houston team. Uh, and honestly, this is kind of what I was expecting from Houston – at some point in time in the tournament, even though all the peripherals said Houston, 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 I was expecting a game like this just because it's very similar to the the one we saw against Rutgers a couple of years back, and and um, we're like they're going to go cold. There's a dearth of of uh, of lights out shooting and scoring in the tournament, I think. Uh, and now that there's no team that you can be like that you can really there's not like a carolina or a duke team that where it's like you looked at those kind of squads and you're like okay no matter what they're gonna have these guys put up this number of points and and you know it'll be consistency throughout there's almost an unpredictability factor because there's so much parity now. yeah and, and we'll touch on it in in, in a bit but it, miami what had i think made them not look like the prettiest team on paper was their offensive metrics were there. Defensive were not. Their defensive numbers were were terrible. But um, yeah, I mean, they're like you said, their their shooting ability uh, and their guard plays, and even Omir, um, just those guys just play very well as a unit, and they can lean on different guys every single night. And one guy gets hot, whether it's Pack or Wong. Those guys are just uh, professional scorers in their uh, you know in their own right. Um, well, I think it's also there's also something else to be said for almost uh, at least three out of the four teams, not UConn, but three out of the four teams in the Final Four are that they played against a uh, team that where the game could have gone either way, and the one of the two teams, the the team with the lead, happened to go into a massive scoring drought. That happened in the Miami Texas yep. game. If I had I had basically all but given up on that game and assumed Texas is going to move on, went out, did something for a second, and then I saw all of a sudden it was 72-72, went back in yep. ter- and put it back on again. Yeah, and Laranega actually said it after the game was that they went into halftime and Laranega basically said, like, it's as if these guys, I explained it to them, like, you're going to have to play some defense if you're going to win, and their defense really carried them through the second half. Just, just, they, just they very did, active. I mean, uh, 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 with that said, they did score 51 points in the second half. But a half. lot of it, too, was started in transition, just a lot of like active hands, kind of what you see out of teams like Marquette and stuff, but they were just in passing lanes, causing trouble, just, you know, jump, you know, uh, jumping, doubling guys, and yeah, then it, and then what, with all the the praise that Pack and, and Wong get, Miller had a perfect day. He had 27 points from the and just didn't miss any free throws. No, no missed field goals. Nothing like that. Just a real, real good yeah. all-time tournament per appearance for Miami. Uh, yeah, and 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 good for Miami to uh, pick up the victory. The, the Sunshine State uh, is the quiet story of the tournament. The uh, the Southeast Florida corridor with putting two teams in the NCAA Final Four. Yeah, that would be uh, some game of quiet Boca Raton um, FAU versus uh, the loud Miami Hurricanes. That would be some f- matchup in the final. Um, you'd already yeah. kind of touched on it with Texas. They, they never really looked at... Um, it was really kind of no doubt in the other game against Xavier in that one. So we could kind of move... 
Yeah, it surprised me because I thought Texas was playing really well. Yeah, and um, yeah, that's they 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 were rolling, um, but yeah, they just did not. Uh, first half they looked good, and then the second half they just didn't. Um, just they, they had that real just real long scoring drought from them. Um, we, okay, so West Regional we had UConn against Arkansas. Um, UConn, I mean, story of this. So what can you what can you say? UConn looks like the best team yep. in the tournament. They demolished Arkansas, and then uh, and then in the second half just took apart. Uh, yeah, wire to wire to wire against Arkansas. Um, we could kind of quick. Let's go down to Gonzaga, UCLA. Um, UCLA, they that was another absolutely fantastic they, game. They go up on on Gonzaga. They look like they were just going to kind of roll them and kind of get uh, a little bit of revenge from a few years ago. And then they went into their own scoring drought, and Gonzaga came all the way back in the second half. They were down by 13. Then they go up. I think they went up. They were up yeah, 11. So they went down 13 to up 11. And then UCLA came all the way back and to the point where UCLA actually grabbed the lead from Gonzaga. Um UCLA taking advantage of Gonzaga's Achilles heel, which is they can't handle the press. If I mean, I don't understand. If this has been a couple of years now where you've seen this from Gonzaga. It's like they, if you full court press them, they panic and they turn the ball over. And and we've seen this happen quite a bit. And just to kind of further what you said about just the guard play of Gonzaga, UConn did not press them, but their guards just didn't score. They didn't score against UCLA, and then that carried over into the into the game against UConn, where their guards just did not score at all, which just leads the pressure like it puts even more pressure on Timmy. Timmy started the game well, yeah. then got in foul trouble, and then it just. Yeah, he he got um, he. There were two really questionable calls back to back, and that was the ball game. But, I mean, I mean, it was a close game in the first half. It was a uh, the UConn went into the locker room up seven, but they did hit a three at I the was, buzzer. I was going to say so. It you know, and and Timmy got number two on a on a kind of questionable call. I think it was a charge. Um, right before with like maybe I, three minutes to go, and it was a one point game or two point game. That was a third foul. Okay, and then they pulled. They so they had to pull him um, there, and it was like once once they pulled him, the it, it was you know, it was one of those things where you, you hate to say it like this, but you almost had to leave him on the floor until he fouled out to even have a chance. Yeah, and, and Hawkins um, through, but but that said, UConn was just yeah, a better team. Anyway. And, and and Hawkins through the the Sweet Sixteen and the Elite Eight game looked the part of just a guy who's just going to fill it up and no one was going to stop him. He hit, I think, a three coming out of halftime. Timmy picked up his early he, – he picked up a fourth pretty early, went back to the bench, and UConn just throttled them. Um, and, yeah, just never yeah, – Gonzaga couldn't Gonzaga couldn't hit threes to get back in it, and UCLA kept knocking their – I mean, and uh, um, UConn kept knocking theirs down. Yeah, and UConn just um, – yeah, they, they really look like they were – and they looked this way through the first two games also, that they were – completely underseeded and that they look like they were going to be one of those teams that they're going to be there at the end so um let's take a quick break yeah all right so we'll actually stay on the east side um the the right side of the bracket we've kind of harped on uconn i think the one thing that i just want to touch on from just like a normal gambling standpoint the they went into the game against gonzaga as the um they were the betting favorite at that point at like plus 300 and they were two point favorite 
Well, yeah. So, but then the like to to bet the the national champion, they were at plus three hundred. Was the, so they were the low one left at that point going into the Gonzaga. By halftime, that had moved to plus one fifty. By the end of the by the end of the game, they were like plus one twenty, and then by the end of the weekend, they were minus one twenty to um to win to, the, to national, be the national champion. And and I think the next closest I think is like a plus three hundred right now. Um, and really, it looked this way. I think to to me, where whether it was Miami or Texas, now it kind of looks like all right. This it kind of just has the feel where that that side of that right side of that bracket's kind of like a national championship game in the semifinal. Yeah, I mean, I think I th- I think I will say San Diego State has has proven to me that they are a good enough defensive team that they can they can battle with any of these bigger teams. Yep. I think they could lose to FAU though, and I don't know if FAU has the guns to beat um, UConn if it comes down to it. I mean, 100%, whichever team comes out of this is going to be favored, and I, and UConn's heavily favored over Miami to begin with. But, um, but yeah, I, I just... San Diego State's athletic and defensive and old enough that maybe they can... They can present a, uh, they can slow the game down to a slog and 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 give UConn some problems, but I mean the way UConn's played, especially in the second halves, I don't know. Yeah, and um, I think their closest game so far is friggin' Iona. Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, actually, the first half of that game, I think it was. Um, they went into halftime. They were down high. a point at half. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, that that's exactly it. Just to actually, I could, I actually pulled it up. Uh, FanDuel has it. Miami would be a one and a half favorite over Florida Atlantic. Uh, Miami would be actually a half point dog to San Diego State, so basically a pick 'em. Uh, UConn against San Diego State would be four point favorites. UConn against Florida Atlantic would be a six point favorite. Yeah. Um, but yeah, y- you're right. The veteran, um, the veteran squad of of San Diego State and just the way they are built of um, on physicality and um, just veter- just all veteran guys, it, it makes you think that they would be the team that could potentially knock one of these two teams off on the right. But Miami, they have, they have the scoring in there. It's just whether they can play 40 minutes of defense, which is what makes UConn so challenging at this point because not only do they have the scoring – um, in a guy like Hawkins, you got Sonogo inside. They have other guys. Adama Sonogo uh, channeling uh, Hakeem the Dream Olajuwon. He's actually, uh, I read something. He's actually like he's a pretty devout Muslim. He's fasting for uh, for Ramadan throughout the entire tournament and still playing really, really well. He actually, I, you know what? Um, he's not the only one in the UConn squad either. Oh, uh, really? He's going, no. Yeah, Ramadan started. I want to say the round of 16 game, um, which was when they were playing Arkansas. And I think they were saying that he and I think one or two other teammates were like fasting going into the game. So there was some kind of question marks of how they would play. Didn't make a difference because they blew, blew the door off. To, um, it might have been Diara who comes off the bench for them, who's um, uh, a real good defensive player and can hit shots in his own right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the question here is, Will Miami be able to score? Um, they, you know, whether it's Wong. Wong kind of showed up in the second half of the Texas game. Um, before that, he was kind of slumped his way through the first pe- half. Uh, Nigel Pack transferred into Miami to kind of get himself away from Marcus Noel. 
he was at Kansas State last year, or maybe it was the year prior, but he transferred to Miami to basically become a point guard and show NBA scouts that he could be a true point guard. Um, so you got him and Wong, which is an incredible backcourt, um, but it, it makes you wonder, like, can they match the size of UConn with uh, Sonogo, and then you got a guy like um, Klingon off the bench uh, yeah. at 7-2. Seven, seven yeah, I mean, difficult. I just, I don't, I don't, I mean, I suppose Miami has as good a shot as any the, to, to beat UConn. I just, it's going to be pretty tough. UConn's a well-coached team, too. Danny Hurley's done a great job. I, I do think that that's where the edge lies, is Hurley, um, and it hasn't really happened in this tournament because they haven't been tested, but when you watch him at Big East games, and obviously the those Big East teams know each other so well. He has a tendency to kind of get hot. He, 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 I mean, he's like this as a player. He's very hot-headed. He could get after ref- referees. And Laranaga is almost the exact opposite. Um, yeah. Where he is just very calm demeanor, um, really doesn't doesn't seem to get on his players in that um, in that way either. So you, it's almost like, you know, there is that question mark of like, oh man, is a Hurley Tech or something going to kind of kill UConn at some point? I hope they don't. I'd like to see the Big East get another title. Um, you know, Danny Hurley, just going back to the Seton Hall days, um, one of my early memories is watching him um, actually play at Wag- Wagner College. Uh, Seton Hall went to Wagner as a favorite to PJ Carlissimo. So um, I like Danny Hurley. Crazy, I wish him well here. Crazy that this UConn team lost five straight games at one point in time in this season. And and Xavier, Providence, UConn, Marquette, and St. John's, and Seton the, Hall. Never mind. That's over there. My six the, in a row. The the Seton Hall game was an interesting one, only because they were up fourteen at halftime. Um, Hurley was out. I want to say he. I don't remember what it was with. Maybe it was like a COVID thing, but he was out. Um, they were out at. Uh, they were up fourteen going into halftime. Completely looked like they were going to just you know run away with it and then Seton Hall just got very aggressive in the second half but they all, they didn't make any halftime adjustments um, whoever the assistant was at UConn they just kind of came out of halftime and looked like they were just going to do the same thing in, in in the second half and they didn't do it um, they were throwing ball the ball away and then you know after that stretch UConn kind of uh, turned a corner but I had said it previously where it's almost like Hurley has these guys playing um, with a little bit of like revenge on their mind because they didn't get the Big East regular season title. They were the four seed. Then they lost in the semis of uh, the Big East tournament to Marquette. So they, they don't have any hardware to show how good of a season that they had. They were the number one team in the country earlier in the season. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. And it, which is, uh, as far as the formula to beat them, I mean, they've been beaten enough, uh, you know, enough times this year. What do you think the formula is? I, I think you just have to... You know, you have to match their physicality inside. They're they're a very good rebounding team. What Seton Hall did with them, and Seton Hall mucked it up um, at the second game in stores. They ha- Seton Hall doesn't really have um, like a true center, but they do have um, Casey and Defo, a guy from St. Peter's last year. He kind of gets underneath your skin, and he's going to rebound with those guys. He's a lot smaller than them, but he's never going to back down from them. I I look at Miami. Not really their profile. Miami's going to kind of score with you, but I, I just you you have to be able to push them around inside. But I also the thing with UConn right now is Jackson is such a glue guy. He made a couple plays in the first half um, of the um, 
the game against uh, Gonzaga where he extended plays by tipping the ball out. Yes, I noticed like, that. Did, did some and that was the other thing. Th- when Timmy went out of the game, not only did they miss his scoring, they missed his rebounding. Yeah, and that's where, to me, I, like Miami doesn't – they have a variety of guys who could score the basketball, and O'Meara is a great rebounder in his own right, but they don't ha- – to me, it's like Jackson's going to cover one of these guys and take him out of their game. Um, I would think it might be Wong because he's not going to cover Pack. But Pack's going to have a tough time, too, with with uh, Newton and, and – um, uh, Newton and uh, Hawkins. But, I, yeah, I don't – you, you got to match their physicality. You don't have to match their size, but you have to match their physicality. So I think the team that does that is San Diego State. San Diego State, that's that's their M.O. Um, it's not – you know, we I we had touched on it earlier. They the Bradley didn't shoot the ball that well. Didn't matter. They just got tough. Um, the fact that they they were pushing around Kalkbrenner, they you know, they, they they've already faced that that big center. Now obviously they play a different style. Kalkbrenner's not the kind of guy that Sinogo is. Um, you know, but he's a big body. But they it didn't matter to San Diego State. So um, I think that type of team fits a profile of the type of team that can beat UConn just because of. The physicality of it, but the UConn team that was losing early in the season is not here right now. So, um, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure that they are beatable. But at this point, I, I don't I don't see I, I don't I don't see it in the Miami game, and then in the other side of it, um, you know, it's just those teams are seated the way they are because of who they are. Yeah, I mean, it's a credit to San Diego State. We'll say this. San Diego State is a five seed coming from a small conference. Um, I think that's worthy of, of note. And uh, Florida Atlantic played um, in the same conference as uh, UAB. Yep. And UAB is now in the finals of the NIT. So, and I, you know, there's, there is a decent amount of pedigree there, even though they haven't played that many people. Now, Florida Atlantic's lost three games this year. That's, that's something that you, you know, no matter who they played, like they showed up and they, and they gave a good game and they, they won 31 or 30 of the uh, 33 games that they played this year. And very similar to San Diego State, that's what, five losses? They're almost 30 and five or something like that? Uh, yeah. I think they have five losses. San Diego State. They're, they were twenty-seven and six coming into the six tournament. losses. Okay, so six yeah. losses. So they're they're thirty-one and six this year. I mean, these teams are good teams that have that you know, and and now that they're in the Final Four, you know they're not scared of anybody. Oh, Why no, would they yeah. be? Um, and from a physicality team. perspective, I thought Tennessee would have been a, a good matchup for UConn. That, that would have been tricky for UConn because Tennessee yep. has the height and the yep. physical uh, capabilities to meet UConn. Um, it's it's just, I'm, I'm not, I question whether or not the other two necessarily have it. Yeah, just to actually to further what you were saying with, um, with FAU, uh, North Texas is also from Conference USA and they're the other team in the NIT finals. Oh, they're, okay, so think, it's a Conference yeah, USA NIT final. Yeah, I mean, it, so that conference was, you know, they were a one-bid league, but these teams were competitive, um, you know, amongst themselves. Whoever was going to come out of that league was going to be a tough out. Yeah, uh, and when and you see a one, when you see a one-bid um, league get a top ten or or a nine or below seed, it's something to at least take note of because that means that the team that means the team did enough 
that they're not a 13, 14, 15. Like, they did enough that, like, no matter who you are, you take them seriously. And and I had said it before with FAU. They do have a big body. They have a center in, in the guy, Govin. They used him um, to kind of exploit Kansas State's rebounding weaknesses. But, you know, with that size, it's almost like, okay, but you're not going to get 44 rebounds against UConn. It's just not going to happen. Um, it's it's just a matter of, like, Sunogo hasn't gotten in foul trouble in this tournament, but they've also been blowing teams out. If he goes into foul tri- trouble, you know, what kind of happens there? Um, I You know, I do think Miami has a real good puncher's chance. It's almost like a, it's like a boxer. It, you know, you can knock... You can knock somebody out with your best shot, and Miami has these shooters where if they shoot the ball well enough from three, they're, they're going to be hanging in this game. Um, it Whether it happens or not, who knows? But um, Miami, just based on their scoring ability alone, um, they, they're going to be in this game, um, and they're certainly no slouch to, to, win, to potentially win the title either. Yeah. I mean, it'll be it'll be an interesting weekend, and I think it's also a good weekend in insofar as you get some teams. You know, last year was a blue bud Final Four, so the ratings were going to be through the roof no matter what. With Carolina and Duke playing in that semifinal game, and and Shashevsky's uh, last run, and and all the rest, but um, but I, I think that there's something to be said for for this year having having a little bit of. Uh, of madness to represent the parody that that really does exist in the NCAA right now. Uh, there is a stat um, where I think the uh, I think it's a um, I don't know if it's eight or nine, but a nine seed or higher, uh, let's say in the in the round of final the final four and then the championship, it, it does not perform well in the in the final four game. I think they're like zero and nine or zero and eight um, with no wins uh, at that point. But but with that being said. Uh, a lot of those times, you have to think that that higher seed is probably playing like a uh, like a, a one or something, or a two or a three. Like there's, but whereas the, just based strictly off numbers alone, FAU is playing a five seed, so it's not like too big of a gap at that point. You know, these are the guys who won their conference uh, conference. So. Yeah, and they they don't fear anyone, so there there is that. Like you know, and even the, this Connecticut team, like why would you fear Connecticut? Why? Because they played three good games in a row. They and they they dismantled. Uh, they beat a St. Mary's team that lost one of its best players, and uh, they beat Gonzaga. You know, but it's like they're still a four seed. Like you could beat them. Yeah. So just just quick kind of touch on so the the left side of the bracket, the South and East regions. We have San Diego State versus FAU. I think I know who you're going to say. Who do you think is going to the final? Uh, San Diego State. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think should. it's going to be. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be ugly. I think uh, Florida Atlantic is not. Is going to have going to run out of uh, miracles to uh, come back and win. I think San Diego State's going to win in a in a game that probably stays in the high fifties. Yeah, I think that's. It's not far fetched that this game would stay in the fifties. And normally you'd be like, oh, that style would favor one side or the other. But I think both these two teams are. F- completely fine playing in that um in that type of setting uh and then on the the right side of the bracket um uconn versus miami you're sitting with uconn 
Uh, yeah, I think I, I think uh, my heart's going for Miami. I'd like to see Laranega win, but um, and pull the upset. But I think UConn just has too much. I don't think Miami can can defensively match up with them. And and the way UConn's played in the second half, it's like if if Miami doesn't have a good start, they're in some serious trouble. Yeah, that's how I felt about um, about Gonzaga at the Gonzaga game, which. I mean, Gonzaga did the same thing as Alabama did. They played bad in the first half and then were able to come back in three straight games in the second half. But it's like you can't keep doing that to yourself. You're not going to – and that's what my thought was with UConn was if they don't look the part early, UConn is not going to let them back in the game like UCLA does. They have too many guys. They could score in too many different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said earlier, the way Jackson has played in the tournament has impressed me enough with UConn, which is why I think he's the difference maker in the in the – I do expect Miami to potentially keep this close and keep it within the number, which is like five and a half, uh, six right now. Um, I think Jackson is actually the guy who continues to kind of make those um, the, the glue guy plays that get them there. Um, and then the national champion, who do you got? I think San Diego State is going to keep the game close and play their style and slow it up as much as is possible. But I think in the end of the day, the talent's going to win out, and I expect UConn in a in a fairly close game to win. Yeah, I I agree. I, I almost feel like one of these years, it's weird because of the landscape of college basketball and how it's going. It's almost like oh, like sooner or later, these like Cinderella stories and like the um, you know the the Butlers going to the final. Like, does that end? But then you know. You're going to get one of these teams in the final this year with San Diego State and, and FAU, but when does that when does that stop completely, or will the magic of the tournament always exist? Yeah. I th- you know, I think it's just going to be more and more the, the, the longer that this play is, the, the more that the system goes in this general direction overall. I think you're going to see, like, more guys going and playing in the D-League uh, or the G League, whatever they call it now, um, in the NBA to a shoe college. And so when that happens, it's like you're going to see more. College is going to look very different in a couple of years than it, than it does now. But I think it'll give even more parity to to uh, teams. That plus the transfer portal is, you know, I said so. A lot of people are anti-transfer portal. I am pro-transfer portal, and I will say why because I think. It's not fair to these kids to get stuck behind some guy mm-hmm. and give up his entire college career. And it's like, don't you want to see the best players on the floor at all times? Well, what if a team like Gonzaga has like four star recruits sitting on the bench? Like, I want to see the, uh, wouldn't you rather see those guys on the court for a smaller schools? I think you're going to see a lot more with the transfer portal. I think you're going to see a lot more really big time players who, you know, they get stuck behind somebody that's not the right fit something happens and you're going to see them go into these sort of middle uh san diego state uh fau type schools and i i i think that's in in the end of the day that'll be that's a good thing for college basketball yeah just similar vein with the nil of what you were saying i think what what happened what will start to happen is some of these bigger state schools like alabama will continue to kind of become the powers and the Blue Bloods might fall behind a little bit. But I think what occurs tournament-wise is when there's, you know, the ones or the twos going down, 
these smaller schools are going to like, okay, if you can knock off Alabama, all right, now you're playing it like kind of an even playing field. Although I have heard things like Creighton, I mean, they brought in Shireman and supposedly paid him pretty well, but you know, you can, you can, the parity of it exists where they can go through the tournament because your team is structured different. You have guys who have played together for four years where an Alabama team might be paying, playing, you know, paying these guys, and but they have a younger team. The experience isn't there. Whereas San Diego State, FAU, they have guys who have played together for a while, and that that's where it's like, okay, you you knock off these bigger schools, and now the tournament's even more wide open than expected. So I think this, I think the way, the magic of the tournament, to me at least, I think it will exist longer. Um, you know, despite NIL, uh, is I think the way the way I would put it that. that it's going to be despite the money flying all over the place. Yeah, and I think I think also it's like it's probably legalizing something that's been going on for a very long time. It's like I don't, <laughs> it's like, I don't, I'm not a I'm not a pot smoker, but like that didn't change because it went from illegal to legal. It's like you know, it was like it, it sort of the guys like me didn't all of a sudden start, and guys who had started didn't just stop. It was like. Yeah, it's stuff that's like wink, wink is always going to be there. They just legalized something that was there probably already to a degree. And Miami, just to kind of finish up with the NIL talk, they're one of those schools that is very open about how they do it. Um, They have I forget the guy's name, but he he pays, I think, almost the entire football team and the basketball team. He they are on basically like a salary. Yeah. Uh, And when Nigel Pack came in, um this uh, I don't know if it was this offseason or the season prior, but Wong had wanted to restructure his deal of what he was getting paid, and whoever the guy is was just like, nope. He goes, we don't uh, we don't negotiate. This is you signed yours, you could transfer. And Wong was in. I guess it was last year because they had gone to the Elite Eight, and Wong was their guy. Uh, Wong went into the transfer portal and then decided to come back because I guess Miami plays pretty well. Yeah, and and, and here they are. Give Ricky um, Rowe a goddamn tractor. Uh, yeah, I think that's the difference here is that the, the that the bag man kind of like um, showing up on Neon Bedeau's, um you know, doorstep, ha- handing a bag of cash and a, and a, and a car. I didn't ask for this. Yeah, that, that's not that's not where it is anymore. It's just kind of very above board where it's like, OK, you know, you're going to get paid and, you know, whatever, you know, make a make an appearance at my car dealership on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, I think we're on the, in the same boat. Um, this is a UConn tournament. I was pretty big on them coming in. Um, it's been a fantastic tournament. I think um, I think we're going to have some good Final Four games, even though um, it does seem like we're a little top heavy here, where you know the favorite looks the part and you know might roll everybody. But um, I think we're going to get some good games uh, with th- the three remaining games left. I agree with you. Alrighty, sounds good, man. Good tournament. Yep. Same. Thanks, Bill. All right. Adios.